Dan Berklin, President, and Barry Zwarenstein, CFO. Certain statements made during the course of this call that are not historical facts, including those regarding the future financial performance of the company, industry trends, company initiatives, and other future events, are forward-looking statements within the meaning of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Such statements are simply predictions, should not be unduly relied upon by investors. Actual events or results may differ materially, and the company undertakes no obligation to update the information in such statements. These statements are subject to substantial risks and uncertainties that could adversely affect 5.9's future results and cause these forward-looking statements to be inaccurate, including the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, macroeconomic factors, and the other risks discussed under the captioned risk factors and elsewhere in 5.9's annual and quarterly reports filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. In addition, management will make reference to non-GAAP financial measures during this call. A discussion of why we use non-GAAP financial measures and information regarding the reconciliation of our GAAP versus non-GAAP results is currently available in our press release issued earlier this afternoon, as well as in the appendix of our investor deck and available in the investor relations section on 59's website at investors.59.com. Now, I'd like to turn the call over to Rowan Trollope. Please go ahead. Thanks, Lauren. And thanks to everyone for joining our call this afternoon. I'm excited to report strong second quarter results with revenue growth of 32% year over year. Our enterprise business continues to drive this increase with LTM Enterprise subscription revenue, which accounts for over 60% of total revenue, growing at 41%. Adjusted EBITDA for the second quarter was 17.5% of revenue. We expect margins to continue improving in the second half and beyond as we gain share in a large underpenetrated market while simultaneously consistently generating operating cash flow and maintaining a strong balance sheet. In a moment, I'll talk about the drivers of our business, but before I do that, I'd like to address a topic that's probably uppermost in your minds, namely the impact of the macro environment on our business. To do this, let me break it into two parts, growth from new logos and growth in the installed base, each of which contributes roughly half of our total annual revenue growth. So I'll start with new logos. For five reasons, we remain optimistic that despite the macro headwinds causing customers to be more cautious and deliberate, we'll continue to enjoy strong growth in new logos. First, prospective customers are faced with the imperative of moving to the cloud as their premise-based systems either end of life or require expensive upgrades. Two out of every three RFPs, 68%, received this year cite moving to the cloud as a primary motivator to issue the RFP. And independent data from Forrester and others consistently show that making the move to the cloud results in triple-digit ROIs and payback periods measured in months. Second is the need to automate manual tasks, particularly in a time when budgets are tight and labor is scarce. Automation was the primary motivator for a further 20% of the major RFPs. Third, the upper end of the market is accelerating their transition to the cloud. The largest customers, while not impervious to the economic environment, often can afford to continue to invest in critical systems, even during downturns. Fourth, we have a massive opportunity internationally. Despite macro weakness in Europe, our bookings there more than doubled year over year in the second quarter. And finally, 
our remarkably efficient and disciplined go-to-market machine, alongside the trusted reputation that we've built up amongst customers with our services. So for these five reasons, and as Dan will elaborate, we enjoyed a second quarter record in net new bookings, despite the economic turbulence. Now let me turn to the other half of the annual revenue growth, and namely the install base. As we've repeatedly stressed, our install base bookings will not be immune from an economic downturn. However, keep in mind the following three points. First, we believe contact centers are mission critical and arguably become even more critical in a downturn. Thus, when CFOs cast about for our areas to cut back on spending, they'll focus on optional spent areas rather than ones where they're able to productively interact with customers, reduce costs, and increase revenues. Second, we have a very diverse customer base spread across all industry sectors. This lack of concentration will likely lessen the impact on our install-based business, absent a severe downturn that spreads across the entire economy. And finally, third, we enjoy strong retention rates, and there are significant untapped opportunities to sell new products and services into our install base, most notably automation and IVAs. So for these three reasons, we enjoyed a second quarter record in bookings from our install base, again, despite the economic turbulence underway. Now, now stepping back and looking at both net new and install base combined and considering our belief in the mission criticality of contact centers, the huge barely penetrated $58 billion TAM, and our proven ability to execute, we remain cautiously optimistic that despite the macro cross currents, there will be no interruption to our continued delivery of LTM enterprise subscription revenue in the 30s for the foreseeable future. Finally, mindful of macro environment, we're being even more cautious than normal in controlling costs and expenses so that we can continue to deliver not just durable growth, but profitable growth. Now I'll dive into the three main drivers of our business, specifically the strength of our platform, our continued focus at market, and the acceleration of our international presence. Taking each in turn, I'm gonna start with our platform. The decision we made a few years back to significantly increase R&D spending to redesign and re-architect our platform to support enterprise-grade deployments is clearly paying massive dividends. These large companies need the scale and performance which we have delivered. They want extensive and deep integrations which we've delivered. They want a global solution which we've delivered. And they want the assurance that we can support successful large-scale implementations which we have demonstrated. Today though, I wanna comment on the single most important thing to our customers, and that's reliability of our platform. As a result of the re-architecture, improved processes and disciplines, and importantly, disciplined execution, over the last two plus years, we've made tremendous strides to cement ourselves as a leader, if not the leader, in enterprise-grade CCAS reliability. In this regard, I'm very pleased to report that the second quarter we further improved LTM uptime sequentially from 99.995% to 99.998%. As a reminder, and to put things into perspective, 99.998% means that our service was unavailable for just 53 seconds in a given month on average in the last year. 53 seconds per month on average for the last year. Amazing. 
Now, another key dividend resulting from our re-architecture is the increased pace of innovation. And this is best exemplified by the success we're enjoying on the automation front. So let me dig into that. During the last quarter, we met with many of our customers that have been using our automation solutions. The overwhelming response from these customers is that the implementation of automation solutions is typically resulting in significant ROIs while improving customer and agent experience. And customers achieve these ROIs in multiple ways, such as automated resolution of customer calls, improved agent productivity from reduced agent handle time, and improved customer satisfaction from lower call abandonment rates. So let me give you a few examples of these successes. The first is a leader in the weight loss industry who saved costs by leveraging our workflow automation solution to improve a critical sales process being managed by a legacy on-premises solution provider. The legacy on-prem solution was cumbersome to maintain and was costly. With workflow automation, we were able to transform their business by moving them seamlessly to the cloud in under 90 days and reducing their costs by 15 to 20% versus the legacy on-prem solution. The second is a global company that empowers over three and a half million small businesses with point of sale technologies and business management tools. Working closely with our partner and reseller in Latin America, they implemented natural language call routing through our IVA solution to eliminate the old press one experience, producing savings of 30 seconds per call. With over two and a half million calls a year, that has equated to over two years of time saved for their customers, greatly improving customer satisfaction and business results. Finally, third is a global shipping and logistics company, which reduced costs and improved customer satisfaction through our IVA solution. This customer was facing challenges with average hold times of over 30 minutes, which caused 3,000 customers to hang up every day before having their issue was resolved. They deployed our IVA to offload their significant uh, volume of shipment tracking inquiries from agents to a self-service solution. Our IVA was able to successfully self-serve over 90% of those customer inquiries leading to a 95% decrease in customer hold times, a 96% decrease in customer hangups, and a 44% reduction in telephony costs, while significantly improving customer satisfaction. So those are the three examples. As a result of the increased customer focus on automation and the comprehensiveness of our solution, we had record bookings for our automation portfolio in Q2. Focusing on the largest component of the portfolio, namely the IVA, we saw year-over-year bookings growth of 63% and 335% for new logo and install base, respectively. Our investment in AI and automation is being recognized by customers and industry analysts alike, and in Q2, we were named a leader in the 2022 Opus Research Decision Makers Guide to Enterprise Intelligent Assistance. We were honored to be the only CCAS provider featured in the report and to be recognized for our strategic and holistic approach that champions product completeness and flexibility. Next, I'd like to discuss our continued March up market. During the second quarter, we continued to show strong growth in the upper end of the enterprise market, which remains the fastest growing part of our overall business. Our success here is due to the re-architecture of our platform, as I talked about earlier, 
and organizing our sales teams into clearly defined swim lanes, enabling us to match selling skills with market demand. Our strategic enterprise teams have performed especially well with this new focus. The alignment has worked particularly well with systems integrators who tend to focus on the high end of the market. Partners, of course, have been a big part of our overall playbook here, so let me share some recent partner highlights. First, we enhanced our partner advisory board and our partner marketplace and created an all-new partner portal. Next, we expanded our relationship with Slalom Consulting and have seen terrific traction in several key markets, especially in conjunction with our Salesforce partnership. And finally, I'm thrilled to report two new key partnerships for 5.9. The first is Kindrel, a strategic technology services and consulting company delivering value to over 4,000 customers worldwide. Kindrel was an existing 5.9 customer using our services internally. And based on their positive experience with 5.9, Kindrel decided to expand into a strategic reseller and managed services partnership with 5.9 to deliver holistic and global customer experience to their high-end customers. The second partnership I'm pleased to announce is with WWT, Worldwide Technologies. WWT is a $14 billion revenue, 8,000 employee technology service provider, and they have signed to be a global strategic resale partner for 5.9, further expanding our partner ecosystem. And these initiatives are paying off with second quarter channel bookings growing 52% year over year. And lastly, our international expansion. The significant and sustained investments we've made internationally continue to pay off with second quarter LTM international revenue growing 45% year over year. LTM international revenue was 9% of total revenue and we continue to expect that this will increase to the mid to high teens by 2026. Our progress in EMEA is particularly noteworthy since our last call, in fact, we announced the expansion of our data centers in Frankfurt and Amsterdam to serve 5.9 customers in the European Union. We opened up our new innovation center in Porto. We established a dock and Iberian presence, both of which have closed initial orders, and have successfully brought the $12 million ARR European insurance company live, which is now starting to ramp. In summary, the familiar and proven building blocks needed to deliver disciplined, durable, and profitable growth, namely our platform, our market market, and our global expansion, remain solidly in place, despite the macro uncertainties. We continue to believe these building blocks position us well to reach $2.4 billion in revenue and 23% adjusted EBITDA in 2026. Last, but certainly not least, I want to recognize and thank the people who have made all of this success possible namely our employees. We couldn't do any of this without them, and it is our employees' engagement and dedication to our mission and their incredible execution that make us so successful. This spirit and motivation are illustrated by 5.9 recently being named as one of the year's best workplaces in the Bay Area by Great Places to Work and Fortune Magazine. The awards based on employee feedback collected through America's largest ongoing annual workforce study. In that survey, 95% of our employees responded that 5.9 is a great place to work compared to 57% of employees at a typical U.S.-based company. So, a huge thank you to our team. 
And I'll now turn the call over to our president and chief revenue officer, Dan Berkland. Dan, go ahead. Thank you, Rowan, and good afternoon, everyone. As Rowan stated, we had a very strong quarter on both top-line and bottom-line financials. I'm also pleased to report that we had exceptional bookings for Q2 as well, setting a record for any Q2, and had it not been for the $40 million-plus ARR deal we announced last quarter, it would have been an all-time record in any quarter for bookings. We continue to grow the pipeline to record levels, and we are getting even greater leverage, as Rowan mentioned, from our partners while also strengthening our international presence with the expansion into new markets. And now I'd like to share some examples of key wins for the quarter. The first example is a Fortune 200 financial services group offering a diverse range of services from life insurance, group protection, investments, and retirement plans. They had been using a legacy on-premises system, which made it difficult for integrations, omnichannel, and consolidation across various business units. They looked at all the CCAS providers and selected 5.9 due to our advanced automation solutions, including IVA, Agent Assist, and WFO powered by Varian. The initial IVA self-service use cases include bill pay, service cancellation, and document requests. They're implementing the full omnichannel solution from 5.9 and integrating it to their current proprietary CRM as well as into Salesforce, which will be rolled out into several departments. We anticipate this initial order to result in over $7.3 million in ARR to 5.9. The second example is a Fortune 100 financial services company that provides both personal and business insurance as well as investment products. They had been using a legacy premises system, which did not support their integrations, their omnichannel solutions, nor their analytics requirements. After looking at several CCAS solutions, they chose 5.9 for our superior AI and automation offerings, our variant WFO suite, integration into their Microsoft Dynamics CRM, and the direct high-touch professional services they knew would be key to their success. Due to the vast array of products and services, they will use Agent Assist for next best action coaching, while also using IVAs to provide status on quotes, cases, delivery of tax and other documents. We anticipate this initial order to result in over $4.5 million in ARR to 5.9. The third example is a state agency, the Employment Security Department, responsible for that state's unemployment system, taking calls and inquiries from residents, applying for unemployment benefits, updating their employment status, and documenting job applications. They were using a legacy on-premises system which lacked the automation and self-service options, resulting in excessive queue times for inbound callers. The state and their consultant looked at all the CCAS offerings and selected 5.9 for our end-to-end solution and our excellent service offerings for supporting them on an ongoing basis. They will be implementing the omni-channel solution with chat and email, QM, interaction analytics, WFM, and integrations to both Microsoft Dynamics CRM and Microsoft Teams UC solutions. We anticipate this initial order will result in over $2.8 million in ARR to 5.9, while also setting up other agencies who we are currently working with to purchase off of this same contract. And now, as I normally do, I'd like to share an example of an install-based customer who has expanded their use of 5.9. This one may sound familiar. (laughs) This parcel delivery service 
company first contracted with 5.9 in Q1 of 2021 with an anticipated ARR at the time to 5.9 of over $14 million for that initial order. Their EU division was waiting to see the level of success that the U.S. and the Americas division had when they expedited the rollout to more than 10,000 agents in time for the 2021 holiday rush. Once they saw that 5.9 exceeded their expectations and they had performed their due diligence with their U.S. Americas teams, who provided a glowing endorsement of 5.9, we recently signed the add-on order with the EU division with an anticipated ARR to 5.9 of more than $12 million. This add-on order includes all of the same advanced solutions we delivered to the U.S. and Americas teams, including IVAs, Agent Assist, Variant QM, Speech Analytics, as well as integration to Salesforce and various other systems. In addition to other subsequent orders since that initial order in Q1 of 2021, we now anticipate this add-on order will bring their total spend with 5.9 to nearly $50 million in ARR. So as you can see, 5.9 is continuing to deliver to customers of all sizes throughout the world as we successfully move up market, deliver innovative automation solutions at an accelerating rate, rate, leverage partners, and expand our international footprint. And with that, I'll hand it over to Barry to review our financials. Barry? Thank you, Dan. First, a reminder that, unless otherwise indicated, financial figures I will discuss are non-GAAP. Reconciliations from GAAP to non-GAAP results are included in the appendix of our investor presentation on our website. As Rowan mentioned earlier, we had another excellent quarter with revenue growing 32% year over year, primarily driven by LTM Enterprise subscription revenue growth of 41% year over year. With regards to revenue composition, Enterprise made up 85% of LTM revenue and our commercial business represented the remaining 15%. Our commercial business grew in the 20s on an LTM basis and as a reminder, we expect our commercial business to grow in the teens for the next several years as we continue to focus the majority of our investments on moving up market. Recurring revenue accounted for 91% of our total revenue in the second quarter, and the other 9% was comprised of professional services. Our LTM dollar-based retention rate was 118%. Quarterly fluctuations are inevitable as mega customers come onto the platform at different times and ramp at different rates. In addition, we will continue to lap the one-time COVID benefit through Q4 of 2022. However, we expect our retention rate to trend towards the high 120s by 2026 due to the higher mix of enterprise customers, especially larger ones, which have demonstrably higher retention rates and as we benefit from higher ARPU driven by automation and other offerings. Second quarter adjusted gross margins were 60.7%, a decrease of approximately 260 basis points year over year due to ongoing investments in professional services and public cloud. As we have been saying, our accelerated investments in these areas are transitory and began to moderate in the second quarter. Therefore, Q2 marked a turning point as gross margins expanded slightly quarter over quarter by 20 basis points. For the remainder of the year, 
We expect further small expansion in the third quarter and more so in the fourth quarter with the expectation that the annual adjusted gross margins would be at a minimum of 61%. Operating expenses as a percent of revenue decreased by approximately 340 basis points year over year, primarily driven by GNA declining 210 basis points, making the 31st consecutive quarter of year-over-year improvement in GNA expense as a percent of revenue. Adjusted EBITDA margin was 17.5%, an increase of approximately 80 basis points year-over-year. Second quarter non-GAAP EPS was 34 cents per diluted share, a year-over-year increase of 11 cents per diluted share. Next, I'd like to share some balance sheet and cash flow highlights. DSO came in at 34 days, an improvement from the 36 days we reported in the prior two quarters, as our invoicing process using the new billing system normalized. Q2 operating cash flow was negative at $3.1 million, due to $5.9 million of the $24 million inference earn-out payment being reflected in operating cash flow, as previously mentioned. LTM operating cash flow was $41 million, excluding $12 million of one-time items. We have now delivered 24 consecutive quarters of positive LTM operating cash flow. We expect LTM operating cash flow to increase in the second half and to increase meaningfully in the longer term. Given our demonstrated ability to expand adjusted EBITDA margins, our substantial NOLs, and our low DSOs. Before turning to guidance, I would like, in addition to what Rowan talked about earlier, to provide some additional color on our operating plans given uncertain macroeconomic conditions. We believe our longstanding commitment to balanced growth sets us up well to navigate through these macro challenges. Our disciplined approach of authorizing new hires based upon bookings and revenue performance enables us to effectively manage expenses. In this regard, I will note in passing that our visibility into our top line allowed us to continue hiring strongly in the second quarter, and we plan to continue to grow headcount in the second half of this year as well, albeit more cautiously given macro uncertainties. I would also like to point out that there is ample cash on our balance sheet, we consistently generate operating cash flow, and we have minimal exposure to foreign exchange risks. And now I'd like to finish today's prepared remarks with a discussion of our guidance for the third quarter and full year 2022. In terms of top line, we are guiding Q3 revenue to a midpoint of $193 million, which represents a 2% sequential growth a slightly higher increase than the typical pattern heading into prior third quarters, we were guided to a 1% increase. I would also like to point out that the implied year-over-year growth at the midpoint is 25%, which is the highest growth rate we have guided to in any third quarter. While we remain optimistic that we will continue to enjoy strong growth in new logos, we are mindful of the macro environment when it comes to our existing customers. Therefore, 
we are being more prudent than normal with the raise in our annual guidance, where we are increasing the midpoint from $771.5 million to $781.5 million, which represents an increase in the year-over-year growth rate from 27% to 28%. As for the bottom line, we are guiding Q3 non-GAAP EPS to come in at a midpoint of $0.32 cents per diluted share, a decrease of $0.02 cents per diluted share sequentially. This quarter-over-quarter quarter decrease is in line with the typical pattern for third-quarter guidance and reflects the continued investment we are making to further drive our enterprise and international momentum. Despite these investments, we are raising the midpoint of our full-year guidance from $1.23 to $1.39 per diluted share. Please refer to the presentation posted on our investor relations website for additional estimates, including share count, taxes, and capital expenditures. In summary, we are very pleased with our second quarter performance and our ongoing success in moving up market and expanding internationally. We remain laser focused on executing like clockwork to deliver durable, balanced growth. Operator, please go ahead. Thank you very much. As we move into the Q&A portion, I would like to ask our analysts to please limit yourselves to one question just to allow time for as many questions as possible. Thanks very much, and we will start for with a question, rather, from Ryan McWilliams at Barclays. Question. Pleased to see record bookings for the second quarter. You know, given the relatively longer sales cycles per contact center, are you experiencing any changes to new pipeline origination? So, like, are you pleased with the number of new opportunities coming in? Um, and is there any additional, like, waiting towards IVA? Uh, thanks. Yes. Well, certainly IVA grew faster uh, than the rest of the portfolio, and, and I think we shared some of those numbers um, uh, in terms of the IVA volume. But um, as to the first part of your question, Ryan, yes, we are starting to see, you know, some extended sales cycles. We are starting to see, you know, extra questions, one extra round of demos, um, not dissimilar to what, you know, I think you've been hearing potentially from other software companies that have been kind of sharing, you know, B2B sales process. That seems to be, you know, we're not immune to that. Um, now, you know, Dan and his team hustled uh, to, 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 to make it up in this last quarter. But, you know, look, we're not immune to the broader macro uh, experience that I think you're going to see in the uh, out there. Thanks, guys. Next up, we will have a question from Mita Marshall at Morgan Stanley. Hey, Mita. Yeah, sorry. There's too many buttons on the computer. <laughs> um, <laughs> no problem. Uh, maybe a question for, given that you're seeing so much traction on the IVA channels and just kind of a need to optimize for labor in general, like what areas do you see that kind of carrying your development into or what ways can you kind of extend your lead on the IVA uh, and just kind of AI channels that you have? Yeah, I think, um, well, we have our, our CX Summit coming up in uh, Las Vegas in a couple of weeks, and that's certainly a focus for us given given the attention that people have on cost savings right now. IVA is sort of well aligned to that. Um, we, we, 
Mita, I think you've asked us in the past, actually, just on that point, you've asked us about selling into the install base. And we just, we did start to do that. And that was very successful um, this last quarter. So we are starting just scratching the surface, really, but we're starting to go back into the existing customers and offer them IBA. Um, in terms of what we do to extend our lead, well, we're launching a brand new product. So stay tuned for CX Summit. Um, but we have, you know, made some announcements around the new version of Studio and you're going to get to see some of the new capabilities there. So we're, we're trying to extend that lead now with that capability and, um, you know, adding in, uh, more capabilities pretty much every, every week on our agent assist, um, from an automation perspective. So that's, it's a big area of focus and investment for the company. And, and again, CX Summit coming up in two weeks. We got some good announcements there around the next version of Studio and, and how we're helping customers drive. You know, it's really about driving that ROI, however they measure it, right? They could measure it in terms of, you know, reduced call handle time or, you know, uh, improved productivity of agents in other ways. But fundamentally, we have to be able to demonstrate that ROI to customers for this to be something that I think really takes off and helps them uh, save money, especially at this time when they need to do it more than ever. Got it. Perfect. And appreciate the install-based commentary. Thanks. Thanks, Mita. Next up from Canaccord, DJ Hines. Hey, guys. Uh, good to see everyone. Congrats on the results. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if this is a, a Rowan or, or a Barry question, but if we think about net revenue retention of 118, how much in the past has been driven by organic agent seed expansion? Uh, and, and I guess the, the follow-up to that would be, like, what are you contemplating going forward? Barry. We got you on mute, Barry. Sorry. Too many buttons. Um, so, um, great question, DJ. We, um, it's something we've analyzed very closely. And uh, in the past, and up until fairly recently, it would have been, and Dan can also add into this as well, uh, it would have been very largely seat count growth and not MRR per seat. But I will, I will tell you that this last quarter, uh, I'm not going to give you the exact amount, um, but it's uh, non-trivial. What the hell? 30% of it came from um, from uh, MR, increase in MRR per seat, which was a, a record for us, um, a meaningful increase year over year. And part of that is what um, uh, all the different things we can sell incrementally and that Dan and the team are doing so, including prominently things like IBA. Dan, do you want to add to that at all? Yeah, I think you hit it right on, which is we're selling more and more applications when we don't see the seat growth. We've got to turn to the rest of the portfolio, which is great because we have the new automation solutions uh, and other solutions that we can provide that increase the ARPU. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And then one, one follow-up, if I, if I could. The the large deals, the mega deals that we've talked about over the last couple of quarters, I think some have started implementation. Others are starting later this year. J- just from a what you're hearing from those customers and the timeline perspective. Is everything still on track? Has anything changed at all? No, they're right on track. They've got uh, initiatives of their own and milestones to hit to make these changes, much of which is due to what Rowan mentioned earlier. They either have had to have invested in a significant upgrade or they're reaching an end-of-life situation. So there's uh, there's critical dates that they have to meet as well. Yep, got it. Awesome. Well, uh, congrats on all the good news. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Moving on now to Needham's Scott Berg. Hi, everyone. Congrats on the uh, strong bookings quarter. Thanks for taking my question here. 
Uh, Rowan, I wanted to uh, uh, target or pick on or ask about your $2.4 billion 26 target that you uh, reiterated from your previously uh, public commentary. Wanted to understand how the current macro environment uh, impacts your algebra to get to that number, because obviously you're guiding to some potential slowness in your business. And secondly, where does the confidence come from that if you do have a little bit of slowness here over the next couple of quarters, on a relative basis, of course, that you can still meet that goal? Yeah, um, I'll start, but Barry, maybe you can give a little more detail as well, because um, we've, we've talked about this together. We um, we did not, when we put out the projections for the 2020, you know, the 2.4 billion, we did not factor in any kind of macro slowdown. And so while, you know, we can still do math to see the numbers getting there, um, you know, you could certainly say that it could be longer than that if this slope depends on how long, how much of a slowdown we see and how long it lasts. Barry, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I think you said it very well. We did not allow for that. So unquestionably, it'll be more difficult. We're fully committed to continuing to try, and we have a lot of levers we can pull. We didn't endorse in that um, in that uh, proxy set of numbers annual growth rates. Um, it is true that it would be 32% compound to get there from 2021 to 2026. Uh, but, uh, and, you know, I've, we've got our guidance and you'll draw your own conclusions on where this year will shake out. But there are, um, a fair number of things that we've shared with the street and one and two that we haven't that, um, could become material and give us a chance to still get there. But unquestionably, it has become more challenging to do so. We did not allow it. And we don't know how, if there is a recession, technically, apparently there is, uh, how protracted it will be and how deep it will be. And we're just being prudent in the meantime. Excellent. Thanks for answering my question. Moving on now to Terry Tillman at Truist. Yeah, good afternoon. Hopefully you can hear and see me. Yeah. Uh, Congrats on the quarter. Um, I feel like we could just do a whole call on AI and automation, by the way. So I'm I'm going to I'm going to go for that one again, that topic. Rowan, you were good in terms of uh, providing a lot of macro kind of topics or, or talking points earlier on both new logos and installed-based activity and why we'll see resilience. What I'm curious about is, let's say instead of like, hey, they have a burning desire to move to cloud and replatform, let, let's say it actually starts with AI and automation as more of the tip of the spear. Are you noticing that those sales cycles actually go faster than like, hey, we just need to move to the cloud and or is it maybe the inverse of that where it's still kind of novel to them, AI and automation, so that they need more kind of testing? And the second part of that single question is when you do get a really nice AI and automation deal, whether it's IVA or agent assist, what kind of AR uplift are you seeing? Thank you. Yeah, I'll start that one out. Maybe I'll let Dan take the last part of that question, the AR uplift. But, um, you know, I just had a call with a CIO of a, you know, Fortune 500 company who I met four years. This is just going to be sort of one anecdotal that I think will actually sort of represent what we see most often with regards to AI adoption. Um, and that was, you know, four years ago, a meeting where he said, we got to get to the cloud. You know, we want to deploy your solution and the whole thing. Um, we've been doing that. You know, he's now happy. It's a you know, huge hotel brand that is, you know, doing really well with the core platform and now is looking at AI. So it tends to be in that order. Because you kind of have to get to the cloud first before you can take those next steps. Some of the big deals from last year, same same story. 
they got to get to the cloud first. The, the CIO of the global healthcare company, the largest deal in our history, um, when I talked to him before we closed that deal, was the same story. It was like, let's just modernize our platform. That's the priority. The priority is we've got to modernize the platform, get onto get onto 5.9, but then we want to go take those next steps. And so it's more in that order. And, and I don't see it accelerating it, to be honest. It's not that much, uh, you know, I, I think folks move as fast as they can move. So I haven't seen it accelerating the, the shift, but we may see more. And we have talked about this. Dan and I have shared this with you all that we think that we see more enterprises being interested in moving to the cloud as a result of this. And we see a better, better wins on our side because it's something that you can't get on prem. So there used to be two, three years ago, you know, I think a, a CIO could have made the argument or, or an engineering team at an IT could have made the argument, Hey, we can do all that cloud stuff on prem, but you can't do the stuff we're now talking about on prem. It's not possible. So that that's yet another, I think it is one of the things that's causing more enterprises to consider moving. And you can look at our numbers also, you know, we share a little bit of that detail around the strategic deals. It's in, in notably the strategics are starting to move faster. Dan, do you want to add anything to that? No, I think you hit it right on. And regarding the ARR, the uplift that we get when we do go into an environment where they're willing to not only move to the cloud, but then add the automation solutions, they definitely take the, the ARPU up to the, you know, from what's normally an average of just north of $200 per seat per month. Uh, that number can creep way into the high 200s or, or even into the 300s as we bring on those automation solutions. And so lots of upside, not only with new customers, but as we talked about, we just started penetrating the install base with those. Um, and so as we see that, the ARPU should lift. And that's where we'll make up for what might be a little slowdown in the, the seat ads, if you will. Thank you. Yep. Next up, we have a question from Taylor McGinnis at UBS. Yeah, hi. Thanks so much uh, for, for taking my question. So, Rowan, you mentioned um, earlier seeing some sales cycle elongations and, you know, things taking a little bit longer to close. So when looking at the guide, Barry, the 2% sequential growth implied in the 3Q guide, I think is very similar, you know, to the guidance framework that we've seen in the past. So just given that, um, can you maybe talk about, you know, the potential risks in the guide if the macro worsens or, you know, the assumptions that are currently embedded in that, you know, to, today? Yeah, thanks, uh, Taylor. The, um, you, you're right. Uh, it's a very similar guide. Uh, the 2% is within the 1% to 5% from the last several years. Um, we feel very strongly that uh, both on the install base side and in it's, um, net new side uh, where we have the backlog that we're pretty comfortable with that. Um, and, uh, it's a very reasonable, uh, but prudent, um, sequential guide. Great. Thanks. And we'll take a question now from Samad Samana at Jeffries. All right. Great. Thanks for taking my questions as well. So Barry, maybe, or actually maybe Rowan, this may be a follow up for you. On the on the decision to hire at a slower rate in the back half, I guess I'm a little surprised just because of the strength that you've seen so far year to date. Is that in anticipation of things potentially slowing, or is that a reaction to what you're seeing in real time, at, let's call it the last week of July? Barry, do you want to take that one, please? Yeah. Uh, Samad, it's both. Uh, as Rowan said, 
um, you know, we saw some weakness uh, in the course of the second uh, quarter, not just June. We're selling to enterprises that sell to consumers, and there are parts of our diverse customer base where the consumers are buying less and there's less need for agents. Um, and Dan and his team were able to, to use Rowan's word, but it describes it very accurately, out hustle it and uh, do what we needed to do. And we'll continue to do that in the second half. But we live in uncertain economic times. Um, it's just we've learned technically we're in a recession. And so we are going to um, be prudent in our hiring. We're still hiring. Uh, you know, pretty, you know, it's, it's not like we're talking five or ten people. It's quite a lot of people. It's just we're being a bit more cautious. So it's both. Great. And just uh, I want to follow up to Taylor's question on, on the actual revenue guidance. You know, it's in the prepared remarks you said that you're using extra prudence, and and you guys have always been good about about that. I guess I just want to maybe understand. It sounds like guidance would have been better, even better. I mean, it's already better than most companies have done. So I'm just trying to figure out where you exercised, or along what kind of variable did you exercise that extra prudence? Was it on your net retention assumptions? Is it on maybe how long it takes to close new deals from new customers? Just where was that extra prudence exercise? Yeah, so first of all, for, to avoid any ambiguity, yes, absent the macro environment, the guide would have been higher than the 2%. Um, and again, I um, would like to oblige you and, and give you uh, a breakout exactly between the two, but it's both. Um, as Ron mentioned in response to the very first question, there's that extra customer hesitancy and so on, although typically it takes a while for that um uh, for those new logos to come live on the enterprise side, so it would not be affecting Q3 materially. Uh, but clearly on the install base side, uh, as I just alluded to a moment ago uh, in my earlier response, um, you'll see that pretty promptly. They, people can flex down uh, their the, the, the seats. Very helpful, and uh, it was great to see the, the beat and raise. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Moving on now to Piper Sandler's Jim Fish. Hey guys, uh, great quarter. Thanks for the question. Um, I guess going off of, uh, Scott's prior question, appreciated the, uh, added color around MRR per seat there, Barry. What are you guys seeing on the usage side as verticals like e-commerce and financials, you know, show a slowdown? I guess the, the crux of the question is where do you expect subscription versus usage mix to kind of trend over the next couple of years here, especially as some of these larger deals don't include a usage element? Uh, as your results kind of my back of the envelope math would imply we're getting kind of close to the 70% range being subs in the uh, subscription bucket. Yeah, so Fish, first of all, yeah, I do confirm that it's actually north of 70% of the recurring revenue that's subscription. Um, the overarching comment that you have to keep in mind with respect to the usage aspect, uh, yes, there are some of the bigger customers who um, bring their own telephony. But that is not that material in the grand scheme of things. We've got, you know, so many customers and such a big company. It doesn't really affect it. And we do track it. Um, aside from the initial spike in, in COVID, where they just couldn't get agents and the, the phones were exploding, typically they move in tandem with the usage growing um, somewhat slower um, than the subscription um, and leading to a mix shift of maybe 1%, 2 even 3% per year. And we don't see that um, 
that changing uh, anytime soon. Um, and you know, if there's um, if, if there's a, a major economic slowdown, it'll affect both, not just the usage. Helpful oh, pre-quarter guys, thanks. Okay. And we'll take a question now from Peter Levine at Evercore. Great, thank you guys for uh, taking my question. Um, you know, I think on your analyst thing, you talked about international moving that up to I kind of talk about like mid-teens uh, by 2026. So, you know, I think what roughly 10 to 10 percent today. So, any thought in terms of your investments to accelerate growth in other markets that you may be thinking about pulling back? And then on the flip side of that, is any color um, commentary you can share with how purchasing behavior internationally is any different than here in the U.S.? Are you seeing similar trends where maybe it's a little bit more cautious? Hmm. On the last one, I don't know, Dan, do you want to take the international uh, purchasing? Yeah, I, I think from, when you look at the size of our teams covering very large geographies, though there might be some, you know, macro headwinds that are facing their overall economy, uh, we're being very scrappy and working very closely with our partners to find the opportunities. And we're working off, you know, coming off of a very small small base. So we're seeing that as tailwind, and that's why you you saw that we grew – you know, international revenue 45% year over year is because we're, yeah, we're coming off of some smaller numbers, but we're not, you know, over, out over our skis by putting people everywhere uh, into an economy that's uh, not ready to to uh, digest it. And in terms of the investment side, we are, you know, we're, we're being cautious internationally as well, especially given what we've heard about the European economy. Now we're small, so, you know, it's not like we We'll feel it in the same way that's overweight there, in the same way that someone who's, you know, got more coverage there, but so there's a lot more opportunity for us. Yeah, we're being, we're being very careful about that as well. I mean, we continue to hire, as Barry said, but at a slower rate. And we're thinking specifically about country by country and what we should do in each country, to be honest. Thank you very much for the call. And I would just add one additional point because it's kind of a couple times. Um, the, what we're doing with hiring is not actually anything different than we always do every quarter. We always do this in real time. Um, we look at hiring. We look at revenue. We look at the projections. We have a, a long horizon on, on revenue visibility, as you, as you all know, given the recurring nature of the business and the big backlog. So we're able to get out in front of those things, you know, potential slowdowns or potential, you know, in this region or that reason, way, way in advance. And this is a well-developed muscle at the company. So even though we're adding in additional, you know, uh, conservatism about what might happen given everything else on the macro side, the process is the same and the philosophy is the same. So just want to comment on that. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Next up is Michael Turin at Wells Fargo. Hey. Hey, great. Thanks. I, I promise I'm coming on. Large deal momentum continues. Uh, we love that second or third slide. Three deals totaling 15 million in ARR, a $12 million expansion. Um, in the first half of the year, you talked about some of the progress you've made with the go to market and, and with partners, but maybe we can just go back to what's working on the large deal side. Now that you're geared and have the services or building up, are you finding that motion is becoming more repeatable? And then understand with the considerations that the macro can always change the cadence, but maybe just help frame out how many similar size deals are still out there for cloud, because I do think some element of this market is just underappreciated in terms of the size. Dan. Yeah. 
Sure, I'll take that one. I'm, I'm going to kill my video because I'm having a little bit of Internet issues, and uh, I'll answer this one just with voice. And you're, you're spot on when you say the momentum that perhaps has created up market into these mega deals. Yeah, that's a that's a new market for all the CCAS providers, right? We had to show not only scale, but we had to show them true innovation and a reason for them to really go through that major what what is a disruption to their to their environment um, to bring bring us on. And um, we are reference selling, and those tend to be the companies that even during a a downturn like this, they have the wherewithal to invest. And if I, I'll touch on that for a moment. I mean, if you look at it, have we seen some pockets of softness? Sure. Typically at the lower end of the market is where we see that. Um, is it harder to find the opportunities? Perhaps. Yeah. And so, you know, I have every bit of faith in the, in the leadership team that we have here and the sales teams to be scrappy and be aggressive and out hustle and out execute our competition as we've done in the past. And, um, you know, remember it's a huge market and especially at the high end, as you mentioned, it's very underpenetrated. And many of those companies need us now more than ever. Um, and let me explain. Um, if, for those of you who most of you probably know, I've been in this business and selling contact center and call centers for over 30 years. And I lived through, you know, the 2001.com, uh, bubble and the subsequent downturn. Uh, we, we, I sold through the 2008, uh, financial crisis and what came from that. And uh, in both cases, we faced headwinds and slowdown. And however, and and many companies that we sell to tend to hunker down during those times and just kind of put everything on hold and don't do much. And what I found was it's the companies that look at that and seize that opportunity and look at it as an opportunity to differentiate and invest in software. And in this case, I believe in the automation solutions that can give them vastly improved efficiency as well as cost reduction, which is so, so important in an environment like this. So those companies that have the foresight and the wherewithal to, to invest will do so, and they'll come out of this in a much better position relative to their competition. And so it's our job to go find those companies and make sure that we can, you know, match our technology to what they're looking to do. And uh, we've, I've seen it before. I have no reason to believe it won't occur again. And it's just a matter of finding those folks that, that are – wanting to invest in order to save and come out of this in a better position. After 30 years, you've got that sales pitch down. It's a great answer. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> and good people. A very experienced sales team that is absolutely understands that you got to go find those companies that can invest and walk away from the ones that, you know, you can tell pretty early on right now in a sales process if they're just kicking the tires or if they're serious. Makes sense. Thank you. Moving on now to William Blair's Matt Stotler. Yeah, hey everybody, thanks for taking the question. Um, maybe uh, just one question on uh, your thoughts on use case exposure uh, at this point. You know, I think Roland, you brought up an interesting point um, where CFOs are looking to maybe uh, you know drive efficiencies or cut budget in this environment. Um, you know, maybe is, is not focused on you know where you guys would, would traditionally play or focused on some of these kind of longer term contact center modernization um, uh, initiatives. Uh, maybe around more discretionary spending and things like sales and marketing, right? Uh, so as you think about, um, you know, where, where you guys sit, I would love to get your, your perspective on, you know, is that, I guess, you know, what portion of revenue, you know, have to give, uh, you know, direct numbers, obviously, but customer service and help desk versus maybe some of those implementations that are in the sales and marketing organizations where there may be a little bit more, uh, you know, efficiencies being recognized in this environment. Uh, any thoughts on, on, uh, you know, kind of that exposure? 
Well, we tend to be more, mo- most of our seats are on the service side, not, not on the sales and marketing side. We do have a fair bit, however, and I mean, it depends on what you call marketing, really, I guess I should say, because, you know, outbound campaign certainly falls into our, our world. Um, and that's, that would clearly be on the marketing side. You know, sales, not so, not, 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 not so much. You know, if you look at the companies that have been in the rev ops space, those are, you know, we don't t- typically tend to play there, um, more directly. Dan, do you have anything to add on that? I, I think you, oh, sure. you hit it right on. Yeah. So we're like the big deals we talk about, especially on the strategic side, you know, these are fortune 50, fortune 100, 500 customers who have millions of customers because that's where you, you know, only a company that has a massive, you know, if you're going to have more than a thousand agents, you've got to have a lot of customers that you're talking to. So it tends to be in that B2C space generally um, includes healthcare, retail, you know, those kind of segments. And it tends to be on the service side. Gotcha. It's helpful. Thank you. Next up, a question from Matt Van Vliet at BTIG. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking the question. Um, appreciate the time. I, I guess, Barry, um, or, or Rowan, as you look at um, kind of how you're adding some prudence to the model in the second half, and as you look out to 23, you know, are you expecting some deals to sort of get slipped uh, into the next year or push out? Or is some of that maybe a little bit smaller upfront deal, understanding that, you know, your land and expand motion has been very successful, um, and even adding automation down the line, Rowan, to your point, you got to get the platform in place first. So maybe you, you take a smaller bite off um, the Apple to start. So just curious kind of how you're fine tuning that prudence and, and where we should expect uh, maybe some data points to give us either confirmation that you've moved past that or you are seeing some weakness. Thanks. Barry. Yeah. So Matt, the easiest way to communicate that is to make a sharp bifurcation between the big enterprise net new deals and then the uh, install base, both just the ongoing organic expansion and uh, organic growth of the business and the expansion once they've landed. Um, they, uh, Dan and his team uh, have got so many tools to figure out what's real, is the budget there, the authority there, the, the desire, whatever. And we've taken their um, their numbers and, and, and use them and feel comfortable doing so. We do do stress tests, um, where we cut, uh, what they're saying and we still come out pretty comfortably. Um, flip over to the, uh, the faster high velocity where, uh, you're uh, getting recognizing revenue within weeks or months or two, uh, there where we have seen some weakness, um, we've taken an added dollop of caution. Uh, we've, you know, it's, it's difficult to be precise, uh, because uh, even our customers don't know how, how on earth would we know in some cases. But we have, you know, such a wide, diverse set of customers, um, in so many different industry segments, as, uh, uh, as Rowan talked about in his prepared remarks, that we can, on average, be, you know, pretty realistic. And that's what we've done. Great. Thank you. We have a question from Will Power at Baird. Hey, guys. It's Charlie Erlich on for Will. Thanks for taking the question. Um, 
you know, great to see a lot of success with AI and add-on services. I wanted to ask about you know, WFO and WFM as it relates to these add-on services. Um, do you feel like that's becoming more important and, you know, kind of onto that? Um, how do you feel about your products out there? I know you guys partner with Varen. You have your own solution as well. But, you know, how do you feel about the evolution of your products there? Yeah, I think we're – it has become more critical, and especially in the larger customers. And there, our partnership with Varent has been phenomenal. Our acquisition of Virtual Observer has gone really, really well. So we sell that more in the lower end of the market, um, the less complex environments. Uh, and then we will, you know, sell Varent at the upper end of the market. And obviously, we have a cloud-hosted, you know, cloud version of their product. Um, and that partnership's gone really, really well. So more critical – uh, in terms of, you know, what customers expect. And it's also helped, I think, the strong partnership with Varent has helped us open the door to to more of those strategic accounts um, because they see us as, you know, they certainly we have a good reputation of delivering an integrated, complete package. Um, it's not a, you know, it, it's not a solution that the customer has to assemble themselves. We deliver one single solution, which is an integrated CCAS platform plus WFO, WFM. And that's what customers really like, and it's one throat to choke. It's us. We we deliver it. We we actually host and operate it on, on behalf of the customer and so on. Great. Thanks for taking the question. Sure. We'll take our last question today from Mike Lattimore at Northland. Great. Thanks. Hi, guys. On, on the um, some of these big enterprise deals where IDA is important, what percent of the seats are these you know new logos pushing the IDA versus Live agents. Yeah, it it really depends, and it runs the gamut, right? Uh, depending on how mundane and simplistic and repetitive the questions that they get into their contact center dictates how much can then be automated. If you're just peeling off a, a you know small single digit percentage, you know five percent because they're asking for password resets or account balances or store locations or you know, basic questions, that's easy. Um, and, and so it really depends. Usually it's not even by company, it's by, you know, application. Like, do I have one set of resources within my contact center that do nothing but, uh, you know, take appointments? Well, I can automate 100% of those. Um, and I may have another department that's not. So we've seen some, like, you know, Rowan gave some examples earlier in the prepared remarks. And, you know, one of those was, I think, 10 IVAs and was a was a small percentage of their their overall business. And another one was about 30 percent. So it does it can run from, you know, small single digits up to, you know, we've seen up in the range of 30 percent, again, depending on the application. Thank you. Great results. Thanks. I'll hand back to Barry Rowan and Dan for any additional or closing remarks. Yeah, I'll, I'll wrap it up here very quickly. First of all, just thank you all very much for joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, I hope we were able to give you a balanced view of the business as, as, uh, as we see it. Um, obviously heading into, you know, uncertain times. Um, but, you know, very confident in the team and the execution. Uh, it's a consistent approach that we have taken, frankly, for years. That's not changing as we go into this. Uh, we just are being more conservative and prudent about the outlook. Um, and uh, you can expect uh, that we're going to continue to drive profit in addition to growth. 
Um, that's a big focus for the company, and I think you saw that in this quarter. We've demonstrated, of course, over the years we can do that uh, across all the different parts of our business. Very, very pleased about the gross margins and everything else you saw today. So thank you very much. Thanks to the team, and thanks to all of you. Once again, thanks for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great day.